So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test you right now. Is that okay? okay? There was a lyric you were singing a minute ago that was just awesome for where we're heading and teaching, and I can't remember it exactly, but it's talking about, you might be able to help us up top. It's talking about how we are with angels and saints. So like right now while you were singing, you were with angels and saints. That's kind of cool. I'm kind of crying right now, so I'm trying not to look at her. I mean, I'm just, I don't know if we get that. Like, uh, the, yeah, there it is. You will be praised. You will be praised with angels and saints we sing. Worthy are you, Lord. That's awesome. And you led us in this worship, so thank you so much. Um, I love, I, you can go now, I guess. That's awesome. <laughs> I want to put our um, image up for today because it's just so fitting. I love when the Holy Spirit has us transition better than I even planned because I love Thanksgiving and the Thanksgiving image is popping up right now and it says, we will worship you among the great congregation. And I was pondering that and thinking, I will thank you even better among the great congregation. That's a, that's a line from the Psalms and it's written by David in the heart of a moment that is not satisfactory. It's in the heart of a moment when he is surrounded by enemies and he is saying, ultimately, Father, come and step in into the midst of this. But in the middle of of all that's going on is I am abounding with enemies around me. I will worship you among the great congregation. And I was thinking about this line and then Hannah was leading us in worship with our students. And I'm always amazed and thankful when the generation, I'm just going to pretend like it's only one generation and not four behind me, but when the generation right behind me is leading us in worship, I have such a peace about that going, God, just would you continue to carry on from one generation to the next, to the next, the greatness of who you are, and would you allow us to learn from them as they learn from us that angels and saints are singing. And there's a great congregation that is going on. And as I read Paul, and if you have your scriptures and want to turn in just a moment, I'm going to land at Philippians, the first chapter, and read a couple of verses around this Thanksgiving heart that God has given me. And um, I, I was reading this and thinking, this is almost like Pauline. This is like Paul, where he's, where he's writing in the middle of a prison cell saying, but there's a great congregation It's why he can write in the middle of a prison and say, Father, in the midst of this, there's joy. It's why Isaiah, when he, um, I I almost think of Isaiah when I think of, with angels and saints we are singing, holy are you, Lord. I think of Isaiah as he is coming in and the defining moment that he writes the sixth chapter of the book of Isaiah is this, in the year that King Uzziah died, in the year that my king and all that I had hope in passed, in the year that he died, here's what finishes it, I saw the Lord. I I have been praying a little bit for the election, and that's kind of old news now, although I don't think all of our angst has died down. It's died a good bit, but I have been praying for our nation, and this was before we figured out who would be elected. I I don't really even want to get into that. I've been praying this, in the year of whoever lands in this role, we will see the Lord. And it has no encumbrances upon which one landed in office is that, God, give us a desperate heart as your people for the sake of your glory. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord and he was undone. 
And that's, God, I will worship you in this great and extraordinary um, congregation. I will praise you. I thought of, of a New Testament figure, John, who is sitting on an island. And he says, in, in this moment of ultimate being deserted, I am on an island. I am imprisoned. I cannot get off. And what happens? Yes, he writes the book of Revelations, for heaven's sake. He sees the Lord. I mean, I think that we're coming in and saying, God, regardless of our circumstances, here's where we want to land. God, we want to see you. And here, here's where I would broaden this and pray this for us as a church at every moment that we worship individually and corporately, that we would worship with a great congregation, that we would recognize that as we sing, we're surrounded by angels and saints who are singing with us, and that we would recognize in our worship this reality, that there are, that there are right now peals of thunder, as according to Isaiah and according to John. And Paul just had this ridiculous contentedness in all of his circumstances. So I don't know that he gave us a description of what was going on in the heavenlies, but I see Isaiah and John sitting in very, very, um, painful predicament saying, I will worship you among the great congregation. I will give thanks to you among that. I read this verse and I think something shifts in us. Something moves within our worship as an individual and as a body of believers when we begin to worship with a great congregation. When we begin to say, oh God, our eyes are lifted up and we are gaining this perspective that there are creatures and elders around your throne. That there are peals of thunder, and, and I read this, these are just direct words from Scripture. The foundations of your throne are shaking for the sake of your glory. May the foundations that we have built that are on anything other than Christ be shaken and upended because we are worshiping this morning among a great congregation. I mean, I love y'all. So I'm with a great congregation individually, but I love this reality and this truth that I am worshiping not solely with you, but I am worshiping with an extraordinary congregation who are surrounding the throne of the King of Glory. And I don't want to limit it down to how the band played today. And I don't want to limit it down to how the preacher goes today. I want to raise this up to a great, beautiful, magnificent congregation and call us to worship. John, with angels and saints, with pills of thunder, with lightning abounding, with creatures resounding, with elders and their importance and their pride laid down, we cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. I think it's amazingly consistent that Isaiah saw this and 2,000 years later John saw the same song and it's going on and it's carried on for 2,000 years and as Ryan preached a few weeks ago an old song seems to be a new song every 15 minutes. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Oh wow, we're tired of that song. We put our head down, we look at him again and cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. I will worship you today. I believe the predicator for our capacity to wrap our hearts around Philippians, the first chapter, is built on our ability to understand that there is a great congregation. I see more today as I sit down in this room and I see more as I leave this room than Uzziah's gravesite. Or maybe that's not personal to you. I see more than my current internal conflict. I see more going on than the temporal circumstances around me. I and we worship with a great congregation. 
We catch a vision of God. I mean, I'm, I'm wanting y'all to jump with me. Like we're worshiping with an extraordinary group. This is more than an island of imprisonment. This is more than a prison cell. This is more than your current circumstance. This is unprecedented color. This is thunder echoing reframes of the holiness of God. These are tribes and tongues and nations and people. And we're jumping in to worship and thanksgiving with a great congregation. All glory to God. May the Holy Spirit sear our hearts with the reality of the mystical and the majestic wonder around him, even as we make our way from the, through the minutia of life. And the decisions and the circumstances that surround us and cry for our attention, may somehow we live in that tension of saying, God, I see with angels and saints, and I'm trying to figure out how to pay this bill. Help, Lord. And compel me to worship among a great congregation. And I believe what happens for us is that it leaves us undone to go with Isaiah. And it leaves us remade to go with all of us who are in Christ. When we begin to worship with a great congregation, when we give thanks in this manner, I think we begin to understand, maybe maybe just maybe stepping back and saying, God, we thank you among a great congregation allows us to read words like Paul says when he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He writes and says, if I'm going to go on living this body, it's going to be fruitful labor. He writes that, you know, I, I love this idea that I am in chains because if I'm in chains and in bondage to this, the bondage that I'm currently walking through on this earth is for the sake of the gospel. These are all Philippians 1 verses where he's just looking and saying, please don't look at my life and think that I have bondage that is in a temporal manner restraining me from worshiping and thanking Christ among a great congregation. I think for us to understand those verses is to understand a guy like Paul who says, I have irrepressible joy because I thank my God among a great congregation. And I get this. I get this. I am not merging my way and making my way through today. I am making my way through eternity and I gain a glimpse of that. I worship and thank God among a great congregation. And Paul does. He writes with irrepressible joy. And joy is this unwavering constant of a pursuit of a spirit-filled, Christ-infused life. And I'm praying that for us, even as you listen today, that we would just say, Lord, we want to be filled with you. And I think that the capacity, I don't think that, I believe that with all of my heart, that the capacity that Paul had to write what we're about to read is because he was near to God. And his nearness to God compelled a joy in Christ that we can't understand, that is inexplicable, and yet when we worship among a great congregation, it makes complete sense. So Lord, I want to worship and understand that there is a bigger story, a grand narrative in the midst of my one page, or maybe better said, my few sentences haiku. Because I think that my story is central so often. And please pull me back and compel me to worship among a great congregation. If you will read with me, I want to read. You can turn in your scripture. You can open your your app. You can read it on the screen. But Philippians, the first chapter, verses 3 through 6, 3 through 5. I thank my God. Happy Thanksgiving. Every time that I am remembering you, always, in every prayer of mine, you all making my prayer with joy. I'm thankful for that. 
I'm thankful for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, and I like the other translation, I am significantly confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, he who started this work within us, will bring it to to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So he's just writing and he's saying, look, I want you to know that every time I remember you, every time I think about you, there's this mystical divine power. I am thinking of first days and I don't, I don't know what first days have done for you, but, um, I, and I shared this two weeks ago. And if you were here, you heard this. If you weren't in a nutshell, I begin to think about Paul and this idea of first day when he said from the first day until now. And I won't re-preach it other than to say it is crazy. It is beautiful and it is profound to think what Paul could have been considering when he said the first day. For instance, for the church of Philippi to be born meant that he had to understand and hear from the Holy Spirit on another continent and to be obedient to the Holy Spirit to follow him from one continent to another in faith. He had to listen to the Spirit of God and say, God, I'm going to step out. I mean, we we sang the song Oceans. He had to literally say, I'm not just going to have this spiritual moment with the people of Mandarin and I'm going to sing, you know, if you call me out to the waters, call me to deep. No, I'm going to get in a boat and go to deep waters. And when I get off the boat, Holy Spirit is going to have to lead me. And the first day that he wrote about the scripture in Philippians 1, 3, I thank God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy and thanksgiving. Why? Because there was a first day for us. And the first day wasn't the day, Lydia, that you and I met. The first day wasn't that when we started the church in your house. The first day was when I stood with the Lord who knew you before the foundation of the earth and who knew me before the foundation of the earth and who hooked us together for the sake of his glory. Out of that, I ask this question, so what are you and I dreaming in this moment? Or maybe better said, how willing are we to be obedient to the Spirit of God to experience first days and even more mystical and magical and beautiful and Jesus-centered and, and more Colossians 3, more than we could ask or imagine? I wonder in this room what first days the Spirit of God is stirring among us. I got a little taste of it this past two weeks. I was gone for a little portion, but when you walked in with Dr. Dan the last couple of weeks, it's been pretty exciting. And I consider this a first day moment. And I actually was with a lot of your team yesterday standing in and I was having this first day. I wonder what's going to happen moment. I mean, it started when we're doing Operation Christmas Child and Dr. Dan comes in our staff meeting six weeks ago and, and he kind of asked us in the only way a colonel can ask. It's kind of an ask, tell. I'm, I'm asking, do we want to do this, pastor? And we're going to do it. We're going to be a relay center. And we're going to receive boxes. And we're going to send them across the globe. Do you realize, I was standing in there yesterday, Dr. Dan, and I was thinking, this is such a first day obedient step because I, I got the, the privilege of just having these boxes handed to me. And I started thinking, because our group has put together and boxed and sent to the next center over 2,000 boxes. And I'm thinking, across the globe, what are you going to do with this first day? This is like a first day wonder of God. Like some kid is going to open this box given by Sandy Litton. Sandy, Jeff gave this to me. Yes. So he said, don't tell you. So I'm giving him, I'm putting it out there right now. Come and get this when it's over. I'm going to put it at the altar. 
So this given, I mean, it's going to be open and somehow our group taking in boxes, checking them off, filling out the put, putting them in cardboard boxes, laying them in, praying over them, and then they're sending these out. And only God knows the faithfulness of people who will put the gospel and some gifts and some hope and some heart and some kid in some land on some continent is going to open this and the gospel is going to prevail. Those are first day moments of simple obedience. This is a box of mystery, not a mystery of who's going to get it, but a mystery of what the Holy Spirit of God is going to do with it. And then when I catch the eyeballs of, of what you could not have expected, we knew all this would happen, but I didn't expect someone like Miss Margaret to look at me and say, next year, I want to go to the next level. More boxes. I want to go to a regional center. I want to watch them go out by the hundreds of thousands and I want to see what God does. I stood in and I realized I'm having a first day moment. And there is no telling what God is going. Don't you want this level of mystery among us every single time we gather? Not solely because it's boxes, because hundreds of us across this room are leaning in and saying, yes, Lord. We're just leaning in going, how are you at work? How do we join you? And God, we'll put our lives here. We'll put our heart here. We'll put our hopes here. And we're not putting them in an altar. We're putting them in you, Jesus. And so I'm just praying that our church can grow in great confidence, not in what we have, but this should be coming up on the screen. We are a great congregation growing together in great confidence in Christ. As I read this scripture, I see that he prayed with joy because he was confident in he. He being Jesus, who began a good work in you. And I am praying that we as a church will have this extraordinary confidence that God in his spirit, and I, I don't have a lot to add to this scripture. Philippians 1 says, and I pray with joy because of your first days until now. And here's what I am confident about. I am confident that Jesus longs for more and more first days among you. I am very confident of this because he who began this good work, he who started this on a hill, looking at it over Bithynia and Mysia, he who started that is going to carry it on and he will complete it upon the day of Christ Jesus, upon the day of his return and his judgment. And until then, you are going to see God at work. Here's why I'm confident. Not because you are so good, because he is so great. And I am praying for a congregation who worships Christ in a great, magnificent, magnanimous way and who says, we're a part of a great congregation. I mean, I I want us to step back and look and say, God, I want to have the same confidence, if you will. I was reading in Matthew, the 11th chapter, two weeks ago, of Peter who just stood on the edge in the the precipice of walking with God. And there's this this encounter. You're welcome to read about it. I was reading in, not Hebrews, in Matthew 14, verses 27 through 31, just of being able to see the invisible. And I thought it was so powerful. It's that encounter where Peter walked on water. I mean, we, we seem to have a theme going with that. We sang about that today. We're, our soul is well today. We're being called out to first days today. And we're just kind of saying, Lord, if you're there and you're speaking, then we'll come and walk with you. And I love, there's a simple line in that. It says that Peter saw the winds. 
I thought that was so powerful because of this first encounter, the winds caused him to look at the effects of the winds. If you get to a little bit later in his life, he began to see this powerful, invisible move of the Spirit of God. But it says that Peter stepped out of the boat, walked on water. He saw the winds, and in the midst of that, he saw the power of Jesus Christ. I'm praying for that confidence among us that we will see the winds. It doesn't say of Peter he saw the effects of the winds or he saw the waves. It says Peter saw the winds of the Spirit of God and he responded to them. And I am praying for us as a body of believers that we will see and live and flesh out the invisible as we walk through the visible earth. That we will live our lives in this manner where we are truly saying, God, we thank you among a great conversation, congregation. We worship among a great congregation. We are, we are, we are expectant from you, Lord, and we will respond to the winds of your presence and your spirit, and we will walk in the midst of who you are. I am praying for a people of God that will do that, lest you think this is a little bit too mystical. In Hebrews, the 11th chapter, here is a great description of Moses in the faith chapter. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated. With the people of God. Listen, he chose to be mistreated for in a temporal manner with the people of God rather than to, in, to inject his life with the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Oh, that we would live with that confidence in Jesus. That we would say, God, there is a far greater wealth on this earth and there is a far greater confidence on this earth and I am going to walk this earth treasuring heaven. But this is, it goes on to describe him. It's so powerful. By faith, he left Egypt, not afraid of the anger of the king. Listen, listen here. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses looked and said, there is an invisible reality that I pray like Peter, like Isaiah, like Paul seemed to get. I pray for a confidence in the living God through my intimacy with him so that I will never walk in a manner of fleeting pleasure or or circumstantial fame for myself. I pray that I will walk in the realm of the invisible and I will endure whatever comes at me in this world because I am storing up treasure treasures of confidence in Christ among a great congregation. And literally 2,376,000 years from now, I will be endowed with that and not for the next 70. And I fear that we don't even live for the next 70 years. We live for the next 70 minutes. And it says of Moses, he endured because of his Christ confidence and because he lived for the invisible in a world that lived only for the visible. And I'm praying for us in this room that we will live for a far greater world and a far greater covenant in Christ than simply what passes. And I am praying, as the second thought is this, that we will not only worship with Christ's confidence, but we'll worship within a great congregation. I'm thinking again of Paul as he just came. And did you remember that sentence when Paul was um, praying? And, and literally this is what happened. And I, I'm I'm messed up by this, and I, I don't know where you may listen to a sermon and go, um, that was good, let's go eat Bojangles, you know? 
I've not been there with this verse. This verse is, I mean, I got to process it with my father. I sat with a bunch of 35 pastors and leaders across the state of Indiana who gathered in one spot. And we just sat and talked about this. And I don't know what to do with this other than to say, holy God, stir our imagination. Because it says when Paul was in prison and he and Silas were singing and worshiping and they were praying that their worship was so overflowing. They worshiped among a great congregation. Their worship was so abounding that not just that their shackles fell away and not just that the jailer's shackles fell away, but in that scripture, Scripture, I believe it's the 15th or 16th chapter of Acts, verse 27. It says that everyone around them, their shackles fell away. And here's what I'm taking away from that as I continue to ponder and ask the Holy Spirit, what does this mean for us? I think it means that our worship among a great congregation, our thanksgiving among a great congregation might open the hearts, much like the second chapter of the book of Acts, so that people are looking in and saying, there's something awesome in there. And they are able without shackles to determine what and who they will respond to. Will they respond to Jesus? Because shackles are laying upon the ground. And I don't believe apart from our confession of the lordship of Jesus, we can be rescued. But shackles are dropped out of the worship among a great congregation so that others can look and see, God, there is something awesome in there. Individually, I am wondering, I'm wondering, I want, I want to ask this and I want you, I'm praying and begging you as a body, as a part of this body to wrestle with this. How are people unshackled by your individual worship? I don't want you to wonder, how's it going with Ryan? Will he lead us somewhere? How's it going with John John the praise band? Are they going to sing a good last song? I am asking this, because people are in your personal life, do they experience the unshackling of chains so that they can look directly at Jesus? We, we just studied, if you were in small group, we just studied the abyss of sin and failure of the people of God to heed the word of God as Jeremiah spoke to Zedekiah. And it was a, simply a lack of repentance and a diffusion of the scripture among the people of God. And I am coming to you and I am asking you, might we be a people who gather among a great congregation, both corporately in this room and mystically and beautifully among a great congregation that have carried on for thousands of years. Might we come together in this and say, holy God, we are drawn consistently, consistently to repentance for things that turn our hearts away from you. And, and, and maybe one step further, Jesus, would you allow the word of Christ to dwell among us richly? And that means we're not speaking to one another with our best thoughts or opinions, but we're, we're speaking to one another as a part of a great congregation. We're coming to one another having hidden mounds of the scripture in our soul. We're coming to one another with the word of God alive among us. We're talking with one another saying, here is tangible truth in a world that is saying there is nothing but untruth or no solid reality. We are looking and saying, here is an anchor that you can take hold of. I'm praying this for us as we just come within this congregation and say, oh, holy God, I pray that you would move among us, that people would have a glimpse of Jesus. And Paul, I think when he was looking at these moments, was looking at first days. I experienced a first day, so this isn't some mystery out there. I was standing in a first day moment. I was standing in Monrovia, Indiana on Wednesday afternoon, and these four ladies came by, and they got mops on top of their van. And I had introduced to them, and they are the people who clean the camp. 
And I love what these ladies said. They got out of their car and they were a part of a great congregation. Because here's what they don't do. They don't clean a camp. Here's what they do. They make beds and they sweep and they mop and they kneel over every bed. And they're praying for the person who will, and they're telling me these stories. Like we, we have no idea who's coming in next week, but our knees are bent. They make the pillow and fluff it and start saying, Holy Spirit, do not let them sleep if you're drawing them to yourself. They make beds and they just, they, I, I love, they're just going, we're not cleaners for the camp. We are spiritual warriors for what God is going to do. And we are the first line. That's first days, folks. This isn't some big, I've got to go over, you know, to Africa. This is, what are you doing to unshackle others so that they can see Jesus? As I think of Paul, I do think of a pretty grand story, and I'll maybe end right here and allow you to just wrestle with those two questions. God, what am I doing? Do I understand the mystical, beautiful nature that my worship is bigger than this room? It's bigger than what I'll encounter as I open your word tomorrow morning in the early morning hours so that I can be satisfied in you. It's bigger than anything I've experienced. God, it is the angels and saints singing. And because that is my worship, Lord, I want to come along with the keys. Listen, listen. Oh my goodness. I want to come along with the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And I want to unshackle chains everywhere I go. That seems very biblical because that's what Jesus said we would do. I just want to end with, I've started to picture Paul and I was, I was talking with a bunch of pastors again last week and I was just sitting with them and, and this, this thought struck me and I, I just will end with this thought. As I asked them to do the same thing I asked you to do, I said, you know, would you do me a favor and would you go back to the people who you now can look backwards and see that they made first day steps of faith so that you could be a part of this day? And um, I don't know if you've done that, but it would be an awesome thing to go back through your journal and just begin to remember. You know, for me, I can go back to the Bible school as a nine-year-old or preceding that to remember the people who brought first days. And the second thing I asked was, would you also believe that Jesus is living a first day among us right now? You don't get to figure that out. You'll figure that out as he walks um, with you. But would you believe that Jesus wants to do this and cause you to thank him in the midst of a great congregation? And I started thinking about Paul. And you know what his first day would go to? I would imagine that Paul, and he can't do this, he was in the same boat I'm in. There's some folks that I can't speak to right now because they're with Jesus. There's some, some folks like Wilson that I would give anything to hold his shoulders and say, Do you know, when I was a 14-year-old boy, what you did for me? But I can't. But I can tell Jesus to tell him, and he can. I think they've mentioned it a few times in heaven over the last years. I think Paul was sitting and going, Lord, I've been sitting and going from the first day until now, and my first day was standing on the edge, watching this wild-eyed young kid 
passionate for you. So passionate that he stepped into the religious circles and started stirring their nests. And he messed them up. And he started calling them to worship among a great congregation. And he started wrestling with their theology and wrestling with their piety and wrestling with their pride. And he started speaking to them. And he so upset them and so frustrated them that they dragged him out and compelled him to stop speaking. And Stephen just kept saying, oh, that I could stop speaking, but I can't because I have found this consuming satisfaction and I know that I am young and I know that I risk leaving this earth at a young age, but I would rather leave at a young age speaking truth than to live to an old age watering it down. And so he just kept speaking and, and all of the religious leadership, including Paul standing on the edge, holding the hems of garments, watched as Stephen not only was thrown and beaten, but ultimately they began to pick up rocks and they pelted him with stones. And there's this mammoth moment in this encounter, in this beautiful encounter as Stephen is, is looking into this and experiencing this. And I just love connecting all the dots to this, that we are worshiping where angels and saints cry out, but maybe even more beautiful where there is a throne. Because we do have, we do have, we do have lightning and thunder and peals and crazy creatures and elders and glassy seas and we go on and on. But in the middle of all that is the anchor point and it is shaken from the worship of the saints. And in that throne, in that anchor point is Jesus. And as Stephen is being pounded with rocks, he looks up and he says something powerful that led Paul all the way back to, I believe, thoughts in writing Philippians 1, when he said, from the first day until now, and my first day was marked by a young man so passionate for the things of God, and here I am with all the scholastic standards, and I'm seeing something better. I'm seeing something more glorious. I am seeing one who worships in a great congregation. And as he is breathing out his last breath, he is saying, Paul, all the around here, Jesus, forgive them and draw them to yourself because you are sufficient. And they may, to quote another martyr, they may take my life, but they will do me no harm. When I love the ending, and it says this, if you want to worship, um, thank God, among a great congregation, consider this your worship, that is, he was full of the Holy Spirit, and he gazed into heaven, and he is taking his last breath, because the gospel of Christ is more to be endured than the temporal sins of man or any prestige. And as he did this, he saw the glory of God. That would be enough. As he breathed his last breath and as a rock hit him on the forehead, he saw the glory of God, but it carries one step further. You are welcome to read this, memorize this, pray this. This is Acts 7, verse 55. And he saw the glory of God and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. That's awesome when you realize that the scripture says that Jesus was carried into heaven and was seated at the right hand of the Father. May you and I live our lives with such a great thanksgiving among such a great congregation with such extraordinary belief that the angels and saints are crying out 
May we walk around, as Scripture says of us as the church, unshackling others as we carry the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And may we get in trouble for the kingdom of heaven. So that one day we will stand. And as we breathe our last breath, our first fresh breath of heaven, we'll be looking at a Savior who says of us as he stands well done. That's my prayer for us as a church. And I believe that is my heart for us as we thank Jesus among a great congregation. May we, this body, be a part of all that is happening in the heavenlies. And may our worship resemble that. Amen. Jesus, I thank you for your truth and your scripture, and I am confident of this, Lord. God, you are doing such extraordinary things in the heart and life of Mandarin Baptist Church, and we're so thankful. And God, on this Thanksgiving, I pray that you will give us a robust heart of thanksgiving for this congregation. And then, Jesus, turn our eyes heavenward to an even greater thanksgiving. For God, you are birthing and growing within us this confidence that does not stem upon our past accomplishments or what we have done. But Lord, I pray that you are growing us every moment in the confidence that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. And so, Lord, for this church, I pray that we will speak that mystery of the gospel to one another, that we will charge one another, that we will challenge one another, that we will walk with one another, that we will kneel with one another, that we will plead to you with one another, that we will bless one another, that we will encourage one another, that we will faith walk with one another, that we will walk on water with one another, that we will experience you with one another, that our lives will be transcendent as we worship among a greater congregation. Oh, Jesus, I pray that your word will form a body of believers here. And that the word of God will do the work of God among us as a one another and with the throne of Christ at the center. I just want to leave this as a sacred assembly. The student band is going to lead us in a closing song, but it's not closed at this moment. I just want to invite you, if you desire to come and pursue Some of our pastors will be here at the front and we would love to pursue Jesus with you. If you want to pray with someone, we're here. Perhaps more importantly, there is an altar that is open and scripture says we just invite you to come and build an altar so that you can define this moment as never being the same again. 
So as we sing this song, we invite you to more than standing and singing. We invite you perhaps to come to the front, perhaps to peel off with a friend and begin to pray, perhaps to have a conversation about the beauty and the wonder of Jesus, perhaps to just stand and meditate, perhaps even right now I've been talking with my eyes closed and you're already moving to the altar. Just to say, Lord, I long to live with the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I want to carry them into worship among a great congregation. As we sing, could this be a sacred, beautiful time of worship? Would you stand? Would you make your way to the front? Would you kneel? Would you pray with friends? Would you do whatever the Holy Spirit is leading of you?